for me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And it ain't always easy, but neither is growing up without someone believing in you. Thanks, Coach Lasso. I agree with you completely. Life lessons like that are one of the many reasons I place immense value on the role sports can play in the lives of young people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Raise Your Game Show. I'm your host, Alan Stein Jr. If you are in any way involved in youth sports, as a parent, coach, or league organizer, you are going to love this fireside chat I had with Sky Eddy, the founder of Soccer Parenting, about the key principles in my new book, The Sideline, a survival guide for youth sports parents. My longtime friend, Rich Sislowski, and I co-wrote The Sideline for one reason, to help parents and coaches successfully navigate the world of youth and high school sports and to reduce behavior like this. Matt, I'm not going to warn you again. One more comment and you're out of there. I don't care what happens. Hey, what are you yelling at him for? He's the only player you got. Hey, Matt. We need one more out, son. Wherever it's hit, you go for it. It's the only chance you have to win. All right, come on now. Don't blow it. <laughs> as funny as that scene is from the classic movie Parenthood, behavior like this is rampant in youth and high school sports. And truthfully, the most harmful behavior is a lot less overt. It happens behind the scenes after the game in the car ride home or at the dinner table later that evening. But don't worry, parents and coaches, the sideline is here to help. This quick and easy guide shares proven strategies to help you make sure your child's sporting experience is impactful, meaningful, and memorable. Please visit thesidelinebook.com to take a brief online assessment to see if you are truly sideline ready, as well as to pick up a copy for yourself, buy it as a holiday gift for a friend, or to inquire about our bulk order discounts and customized cover options. We created different cover designs for different sports, and we even provide an option for your organization to put their logo right on the cover. A youth basketball organization in North Carolina just placed an order for 2,500 customized copies and is making the sideline the centerpiece of their parent education. Once again, that's the sidelinebook.com. We appreciate your help in supporting this movement. And now here's my conversation with Sky Eddy of Soccer Parenting. Alan, thank you so much for being here. Oh my goodness, it's my pleasure. Well, you know, when I, I first started telling both John and Stu, our, our mutual friends, uh, about the sideline and the movement, I don't even think I got two sentences in when they <laughs> said, you've got to meet Sky. Like she, she's going to be so aligned with this. So uh, you came incredibly highly recommended as well. And I really appreciate this opportunity to, to officially meet you and, and chat with everybody that's with us today. Oh, that's great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're excited to have you here. I mentioned the book earlier. I'm just going to go ahead and give it another little quick plug here. Um, you can get it at uh, thesidelinebook.com and we'll be diving into it quite a bit. Um, I'm curious, maybe we can kick off with um, why you decided to write the book. Uh, you know, if you're working in your keynote speaking world where you're working with organizations and coaches and teams, of course, and are acting as a coach, but what prompted you to write this book, The Survival Guide for Youth Sports Parents? Well, youth sports has had a massive impact on my life. And, and to no exaggeration, I have been involved in youth sports for 40 out of the 45 years I've been on this planet. Uh, my parents signed me up for my first recreation soccer team and basketball team when I was five years old. And here, 40 years later, sports are still a major pillar of my life. 
you know, the, the first third of that I spent as a youth athlete myself, uh, played a variety of different sports. I played soccer, uh, football, basketball, even did some unconventional sports like martial arts and BMX biking. Uh, was fortunate enough to play basketball at Elon down in North Carolina. Uh, and then upon graduation, I dove head first into youth athletics as a basketball specific uh, performance coach. And I spent most of my time working with youth, high school age, middle school age players. Uh, now that allowed me to work some events for Nike and Jordan brand, uh, which allowed me to work with some of the guys you see behind me in these pictures. Um, but my focus was always at the youth level. Uh, and then now kind of on the next iteration, uh, I'm the proud father of 11 year old twin sons and a nine year old daughter, uh, all of whom uh, play, you know, uh, youth sports and have done a variety of different activities. So I've seen youth sports from every angle, player, <laughs> coach and parent. And I know the impact that youth sports can have uh, on our kids' lives. And, and I'm so glad you teed up that life lesson, you know, um, value statement, because that's the reason we all collectively should want our children to continue to play sports as often as they can, and most importantly, for as long as they can. And, you know, statistically, most kids will stop playing formal sports, you know, when their high school days are over. Um, but let's make sure they get the most out of that time, you know, and that's to me something that's, that's very, very important, um, especially now as a father. Yeah, no, I hear you loud and clear. It's funny how, uh, you know, our perspective on things changes. I'm curious, it was being a sports parent harder for you than you thought it would be? Yes and no. And I want to say in full transparency for anyone that does pick up a copy of the sideline that that when you read some of the things in there, uh, first and foremost, I want to make sure that, that you know that my co-author Rich and I wrote this, uh, not an attempt to be judgmental, not an attempt to be critical. We both have so much admiration, respect uh, for youth sports parents and the sacrifices they, they make uh, with their time, with their energy, uh, financially. Um, uh, but we've both learn through our own experiences, uh, some of these guidelines and practices. And, and I know that, you know, it sounds kind of funny saying youth sports career, considering how young my kids are, but I know when they first started playing sports at five and six years old, uh, many of the uh, mistakes or issues that are outlined in the sideline were ones that I made myself. So yeah. this is a journey that I've been on, um, but I've so, you know, slowly developed a better way and a better way. And, and my relationship now with my children uh, is as good as it's ever been. They, they absolutely love the sports that they play and, and I love supporting them. Uh, also for a little context, uh, I'm very amicably divorced. Uh, so I have my kids half of the time and, and my ex-wife and I, we, we navigate the youth sports parenting landscape together and, and do so fairly well. Uh, but just, I've seen firsthand implementing some of the principles in this book with my own children has been an absolute game changer in, in our relationship with each other, but also in the way that they approach the game and, and how much fun and enjoyment they have out of it. So uh, oh, sports parent has definitely um, helped me grow and evolve as a man and as a parent. Uh, and I certainly can empathize and have high compassion for the challenges of it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought when I uh, had kids that I would be uh, like exceptional sports parent because everything would have been all queued up for this. You know, I had played 
uh, collegiately, professionally. I was a top level coach. I'd worked with kids in camps and, and uh, you know, in the youth game for so many years. I coached collegiately. And I will tell you, I was so unprepared to be a sports parent, um, mostly or in large part, I'll say, because my daughter was is very different than me from a mental standpoint. And so I just didn't understand where she was coming from. And it took me a handful of years to realize and, and appreciate our differences so that I could best support her. Um, but um, I, I say all the time that soccer parenting was really born because out of the idea or the, the stress that I was feeling as a parent and just me seeking information. Oh, for um, sure. So what do you think that parents... Um, like in, in which ways do you think that parents are getting it? I don't want to say wrong because I don't want there to be a negative connotation, but, you know, if you could choose one or two key topics for us to dive into here at the beginning, like what would be the key primary ways that parents need to be better supporting their children or be doing things differently? One of the things I find interesting is I think as a society, we've really lowered the bar for expectations of youth sports parents. I think a vast majority of sports parents think to themselves, uh, I don't beat up the referee in the parking lot after the game. And I don't scream obscenities at the top of my lung during, you know, during a youth game. So I'm already a pretty good sports parent. And, and if that's the barometer for being a youth sports parent, then we've collectively got some work to do. And, yeah. and, and, and the, the groups that do those things, I mean, they're complete anomalies. That's a very low percentage. So yeah. most of the things that, that we address in the sideline uh, are things that I believe, and I do believe this wholeheartedly, that the overwhelmingly vast majority of youth sports parents do so with very noble intentions and are doing the absolute best they can with their level of awareness and the information they have. What I found through my own personal experience and seeing it through these different vantage points is some of these things that parents do that are well-intentioned are very misguided. Um, the, the parents do these things because they believe they're being helpful to their child when in fact the exact opposite is true. Mm -hmm. One of the first things that comes to mind uh, are, are the parents that, that yell instructions from the sideline or yell instructions from the bleachers. You know, whether it's telling a kid when to pass or when to shoot or to, to bend their knees or to get back on defense. Um, I do believe, again, parents think they're helping their kid by doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, to be fair, I talk about this a lot. Like sometimes in the moment, it does help. Like you tell your child and scream from the sideline or from the stands for them to who to throw the ball into. And so they pick the ball up, they throw it in, and then it's a breakaway and we have a chance to score. But we need to be cautious about that as parents, because just because that might help in the moment, you know, I think what we're really talking about here is long-term cognitive growth, like our children's ability to learn. Um, so could you maybe dive in a little bit to how we're impacting kids' ability to learn by instructing them in the moment and what else we're doing to them when we do that? Sure. And, and, and let me again, take a step back and just say, that if someone listening to this goes, you know what, I do yell instructions from the sideline. I'm not casting you as a bad youth sports parent. All I'm trying to do is offer a perspective that might get you to have a different approach and to see things differently. Now, where I'll, I'll push back slightly on what you just said, and I love what you just said, because I, I think a lot of people are thinking that, and this might be where you're going with, with teeing up the question on the cognitive learning. One of the most important skill sets that young people need to develop in sport is the ability to make decisions. 
is decision-making. And when we as adults tell children what to do, we rob them of the opportunity to get a rep in making that decision. If we tell our kids when to pass, then they, they become almost robotic and reliant on us to tell them when to pass. When we want them to figure out when is the best time to pass or what's the best angle to make or to shoot or, or, or so have you. And as we all know through learning, one of the ways we learn is through failure. One of the ways you become a good passer is by making a series of bad passes and realizing I don't want to do that anymore. And you start to, to figure that part out. You know, a good portion of sport, and we'll just keep using soccer and basketball as primary examples since those are our backgrounds. You know, uh, what I see all the time in basketball is a kid gets the ball and the parent yells, shoot. And, and I'm of the belief that shooting should be a decision. It should not be a reaction that, that you need to develop the basketball IQ that tells you when it's an appropriate time to shoot, not listening to instructions. So that's, that's one thing just to consider. Another yeah. thing to consider, and I do believe this, I believe that the vast majority of issues we face in youth sports would be cleared up if everyone stayed in their lane. Players play, coaches coach, officials officiate, and parents, let's just say, cheer. As soon as someone tries to do someone else's job, and in this case, a parent is kind of taking over the coach role by yelling instructions, now there's some confusion. And I know there's a spectrum. I know that, that, that eight-year-olds playing soccer and 18-year-olds playing soccer are not the exact same. So this is even more influential at the really young levels, but it becomes really chaotic. These kids are running around there and they have so much stimuli and so many things they're trying to process and as adults, all we're doing is adding to the confusion by screaming these things, telling them when to run, jump, pass, shoot. They're already trying to process this anyway. And, and many times, you know, uh, by the time a young person hears their parent, uh, what the parent yells for them to do, they process it, they act on it, and then they do it. It's no longer the right thing to do, like using a passering or a shooting example. You know, I've watched elite level soccer. Sometimes that window to make that pass is pretty finite. So by the time you hear it, process it and make the pass, it might not even be the right pass to make at that time. And it's just adding to that confusion. So uh, I think that's just one of the things that we need to consider. And I know how hard this is, yeah. especially for someone with your acumen and background who knows what the right pass to make is and knows, I have no doubt that the instructions that you would yell from the sideline would be accurate and would be true. So this is, again, this is not about saying that what parents are yelling is wrong, but it goes back to, we don't want to rob kids of the opportunity to, to get a rep in decision-making, and we don't want to confuse them on who they should be listening to for instruction in that moment. And, yeah. and this, this was one of the hardest parts for me to adjust to when I first became a youth sports parent. Yeah, no, absolutely. To be clear, I'm not instructing anyone from the sidelines. At Soccer Parenting, we work on, uh, you know, we, we kind of bucket communication and behavior on the sidelines into supportive, distracting, and hostile. Love so it. we encourage supportive communication if your child is okay with it. I think parents need to have a conversation. Like my daughter does never wants to hear my voice 
on the sidelines. It just distracts her. Even if I'm like cheering for the goalkeeper who just made a great save, like just hearing my voice gets her out of her zone. So I respect that. Whereas my son likes to hear supportive communication, uh, obviously not when he's in the middle of participating or, or in an in, in action related to soccer, but just more like a job, you know, keep going kind of stuff. So um, I think that we've done a good job, but it is hard uh, because I think a lot of times what sideline behavior really is, is, is a, um, is us handling our stress on the sidelines. And if so, if we're not really thoughtful and intentional, I love the work that Stuart does on mindfulness. Our common friend Stuart does on mindfulness because that's a lot of what parents need to bring to the sidelines um, to just when you're feeling that stress to, you know, alleviate that stress, not with this communication and telling your child what to do. Oh yeah. There's, there's so much insight in what you just shared. And, and I love that, that you have the wherewithal to know, and you said this earlier, which is incredibly insightful that the way you were when you were younger and the way that you prepared and approached the game is not the same as the way your children do. And that you've, you've learned to individualize and customize your parenting to each of your children. And, and I know sure. this thing for me, I remember yeah. how driven and dedicated I was to play college basketball and with my own children, when I see moments where they're not quite as driven or dedicated, yeah, it's hard for me not to intervene and try to download everything in my mind onto them and let them experience this is their journey and this is this is something that they need to get out of it. And that is arguably one of the hardest parts, not even just of being a youth sports parent, of being a parent in general, is at present, I have 45 years of life experience 45 years of making some good decisions and some really poor decisions. And if only my 11-year-olds and 9-year-olds could have the wisdom of a 45-year-old, boy, would their lives be so much easier. And, and, and I have to realize that they have to be on their own path. That, yes, I want to guide them and mentor them and share with them. But they're going to have to figure some things out. And they're going to have to they're going to, they're going to learn some life lessons when they get cut from a team or when they don't play very much or when they lose a big game. And that's the beauty of sport. Sport is one of the only things in the world that can teach those things to that degree. And I want my children to experience those things the same way I did. So I don't want to insulate them or rob them of those things. I want them to experience it. And I do have to keep reminding myself to step back and say, this is their journey. You know, I think if I asked anyone listening to this, you know, if I sat down one-on-one -on -one and said, do you live vicariously through your child? Everyone knows the, the acceptable answer is to say no. And I think most people consciously would say no. But unconsciously, if you are on the sideline of an eight-year-old soccer game and you are an emotional wreck and your stomach is in knots because you're worried whether or not your eight-year-old's team is going to win, then you are living vicariously through your child. Like, and I won't go as far as to call that a problem or an issue, but it's something just to consider. Like, Yeah, yeah, no, I was on a... I was on a podcast a while ago when I said the statement, in fact, I left it as a quote and keep it as a slide when I'm speaking. And it's something to the effect of, um, you know, I said, as parents, until we uh, take responsibility for the ways that we've treated our child, good and bad, like we're just going to be missing a really important part of the solution to use sport. And, um, you know, 
if you had asked me or, you know, I definitely feel like there's one or two times where one of my daughter's coaches who I was close with said something like, you know, you're living vicariously through her or stop doing that. And then, and, and I got so defensive in that moment. I was That's like, cool. I am not, but absolutely. You know, there were moments later that I could pause and reflect and say, you know, I really was totally unintentionally, not with even bad, with of even course. like, a. An, an, a need that I, I wasn't satisfied with her, or I was mad with at her, anything like that. It's just a very natural thing to do. So I think for us, you know, being thoughtful about, um, you know, how we're interacting with our children and how we're feeling and living vicariously through them, like we need to just acknowledge it and move on. And then we can start finding some solutions. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And what you just said there is all we have to do is be able to heighten our own awareness. Yeah. Like what, one thing is true. You're never going to improve something you're unaware of. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you'll never fix something you're oblivious to. So first and foremost, it takes the humility and vulnerability of looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, Uh, my stomach is in knots when my eight-year-old plays soccer. Maybe I have some self-reflection and and I need to to, to look at myself first. And again, the fact that you care so much about your child, that you want them to do well and to be happy and to succeed is a wonderful trait. If your stomach is in knots during an eight-year-old's game, I'm not saying that makes you a bad youth sports parent. That means you love your kid every bit as much as you and I love our kids. What I'm saying is that's going to, that, that mindset and that perspective and, and that emotional involvement is going to, to dictate your behavior. And you might start doing and saying some things that might not be in the best interest of your child's youth sporting experience. Mm. You know, in addition to, to shouting uh, instructions from the sideline, another thing that I, I see a lot of very well-intentioned parents doing is the moment their, their, their son or daughter comes off of the field or court, um, they become kind of critical. They, they start saying, well, you know, here's what you should have done, or why did you shoot that? Or how come you didn't make that pass? Or how did your man get by you? You know, and again, they're doing it because they're thinking, I want my kid to be really successful. And if I can button up a few of these errors that they made, then they'll become a better player and they'll matriculate up to being successful. Um, but that's that's an incredibly emotional, vulnerable time for a child as soon as they're finished a game, whether they won or they lost or anything in between. And I found uh, the best thing you can say to your child after they compete is simply the six words of, I love to watch you play. Yeah. That's it. And I've had to program myself to say that. Like I was rather robotic for the first couple of years, almost reading a script off of my hand to be able to say, Alan, don't say anything except for I love to watch you play. And now it's just second nature to me. And, and I tell you what, my kids, their faces light up when they see that the only reason I'm there is because I love watching them do something they enjoy and I'm there to support them and I'm there to love them unconditionally. That my love for my children has nothing to do with how much they play how many points they score or whether they win or lose. And I know every parent listening to this at their core feels the same way. They love their kids unconditionally, but when we can start being judgmental and critical of our kids' performance immediately after, it makes our love appear to be conditional. It makes it seem like, well, after you play well, we're all smiles and the car ride home is great. After you play poorly, it's the exact opposite. I get on you and I'm critical. Basically, we're modeling the fact that our love for them in their eyes, because they have much lower emotional intelligence than I would hope we'd have, in their eyes, they're thinking, my parents' love for me is, is conditional. They're yeah. mad at me when I don't play well. They're happy when I do play well. I better play. And that adds an immense pressure to children that I don't think we want to put on them. 
Yeah, I, I suddenly became aware of the fact um, in talking to some parents once when I, I don't remember where I was speaking, but um, that I often like have a celebration if they win or like we're, we'll stop and get a Slurpee or, you know, and then if they don't, uh, we don't often do that. I, I mean, there's definitely like this without me even being thoughtful about this little correlation between a reward if they win or, or you know, treating my kids differently if they win versus if they lose. And so, you know, just even little things like that for us to be uh, sort of aware of, I think. Yeah. Well, and, a big difference. and I also want to make sure that if anyone listening to this is rolling their eyes because they think I live in a fantasy world where winning and losing doesn't matter, that is not the case. Yeah. What I want to make sure there is a very distinct difference between teaching young people how to prepare and to compete and to be great sportsmen and sportswomen to the best of their ability. What I don't think we should emphasize is the final score, the outcome. I'm fine with keeping scores. And I am definitely not an advocate of the everybody gets a trophy mindset. You know, there's nothing wrong with having winners and losers in a game. And there's nothing wrong with awarding the team that wins the championship a trophy. I'm all for that. What I'm saying is we don't want to emphasize the importance of the winning and losing. What's most yeah. important is how you practice, how you show up to play, how you prepare, how you, your attitude and your effort when you're playing, you know, those are the things that we as parents should be emphasizing at the younger ages. If any of our children grow up to be professional athletes where they are literally paid to win games, we can have a different discussion at that point, but I'm assuming that the vast majority of people listening to this, and I'll even throw my, my children into the mix, the chance of them being professional athletes is, is fairly small. Now, yeah. if that's something my children choose to pursue, I will support them with everything I can. I would never get in their way of their dreams, but statistically, what's more important to me is that they participate in youth sports for the same reason that you put up that life lesson value statement before so that they learn things like accountability and grit and resiliency, and they become empathetic, compassionate teammates. Like that's, what's most important. So that's what I want to make sure gets emphasized. And, you know, to your point about we get Slurpees after a win and we don't, when we lose, I mean, even take it down to the granular level, you know, during a basketball game, when do parents cheer? They cheer when the ball goes in the basket. They don't cheer when the kid misses a shot which once again, unconsciously starts to program kids to be outcome-based. Yeah, Just yeah. because you miss a shot doesn't mean it was a bad shot. Simply means it didn't go in. And yeah. why didn't it go in? Well, probably because you're only nine years old and you're not a great <laughs> shooter yet. And that's okay. But, but, but we, we're conditioning our entire society to be yeah. so outcome-driven. And that is a very slippery slope to live even in life. I'll tell you, as a 45-year-old man, I've learned to detach from outcomes. I do not want my achievement to be the, 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 the foundation of my self-worth, mm -hmm. because if that's the case, that means when I achieve and things go my way, I feel good. When I don't achieve or I fall short of a goal or things don't go my way, I feel bad. And I personally do not want to be on that roller coaster of life. Like I want my attitude and my effort and how I show up to dictate how I feel about myself, because those are things I have control over. And that's just kind of a, a yeah. microcosm of what I want sports to teach my own children. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love how you dove into that in the book, um, you know, the whole concept of winning and the importance of, um, of I, I would frame it something probably like, you know, we, I want, I want my children and the teams that I coach to want to win every time we get on the field, like Absolutely. developing a winning mentality and a desire to win is essential to competing and having fun and all of that. But, 
you know, if we focus on the outcome, then that's where there'll be the issue. Um, there's a question that came in here. This is in the chat. Oh, no, I guess it's in the QA. Okay, good. I, I was like, I'm trying not to go everywhere because there's conversations happening, which is great. This is um, this is a question, I think it's important we address it at this point. It's from a parent that says, um, you know, I need to learn how to be more supportive after the session, but is it okay to have a discussion about what was done wrong? Love the question. And and there, even though the sideline, we try to take a general approach to a lot of these things, almost everything will come down to, and you've already teed this up so beautifully, Sky, to a customized approach with your child. So I mentioned I have 11-year-old twin sons. Uh, now, they're very fraternal. They look very different. They have very different temperaments. They have very different likes and dislikes. I mean, I don't know that you could find a pair of twins that are more different than my sons. And how I approach each of them is even different. You know, my, my two-minute older son, Jack, um, I mean, he really loves basketball and has a very cerebral approach. And, and he wants to have a conversation with me and use my expertise yeah. afterwards to discuss some things. The rule that I've put in with him is let's give it about an hour or two after the game so that all emotional, you know, the emotional roller coaster you're on. If you're really high from a great game or you're really low from a bad game, let's let that settle a little bit. And then when most of the emotions have dissipated, we can just have a very matter of fact talk. And I'll be happy to share with you what I saw from the sideline and, and offer some input. Um, and, and that works for him. Uh, my son, Luke, doesn't want to talk about any of it. Like he's like, this game's over, win or lose. We just move on to the next one. And he doesn't really need my input and that's okay. So in this instance, I've kind of given the keys to the car to my kids and say, you tell me when you want my input. And there have been times where Jack uh, has lost the game and not played well. And he's in kind of low spirits for a few hours. And he'll say, dad, I just don't feel like talking about it now. And I say, that's no problem, buddy. I'm here if you need me. If you feel better in the morning, we can talk about it or we can never talk about it. It's totally up to you. And, and that's a rhythm that we've gotten into. And, and my daughter is very similar to my son, Luke, that, that after the game, you know, win, lose or draw, she's ready to go get a Slurpee. Like she doesn't even care. She's just <laughs> thankful. She got to play with her friends. She's glad she got to play something she loves. So I, I do try to individualize that. So that would be my recommendation is have an honest conversation with your children that you're happy to share with them, your insight and your perspective, if they're open to it, but let them be the one that controls when and where and how that happens. And yeah, and I, I, oh, go ahead. absolutely. I feel like we get stressed, like, like for parents that are listening, hopefully, you know, you're, you're realizing that, well, one, the way the question was framed, I just wanted to make a mention of something. It's like, uh, when they, um, sorry, I'm going to, sorry, we've had so many questions coming. I thought I had, right I know, that's me. Okay. um, you know, is it okay to discuss when they've done something wrong? And I think it's maybe as a, for us as parents, we can just sort of also frame things, especially for our younger children, that they haven't learned it yet, that they might not have even done it wrong, but you know, to go in with more of sort of a growth mindset approach to supporting your children in those moments of, you know, and, and that goes to the parent that's also asking, you know, what can we do if our child is so frustrated? You know, they get so frustrated after their performances. A lot of times just kids hearing the word yet, like, well, you haven't gotten there yet. You haven't learned that yet can can certainly help. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other comments for the parent that has the, there's a couple of parents that have mentioned things about their child getting frustrated. They want to do better. They have big goals, yet they're not pushing themselves like the lack of motivation. Yeah. Can you want to speak to that a little bit? Well, 
Also, when I do end up having that conversation with my son, Jack, I always tee it up. The very first two things I ask him, the first thing I ask him is, you know, what do you think you did well today? Like, let's, let's, let me find out what you did well. And, and, you know, he's an 11 year old, he's moody. Sometimes he'll say nothing. I was awful. All right. Well, we're going to unpack that because no, you weren't awful. And let me share with you a couple of things that I saw that you did well. You know, yeah, you weren't really knocking your jump shot down today, but boy, you made some good passes and you played good defense. So I want through their eyes to be able to say, what things did you do well? And then instead of saying, what did you do wrong? I just say, where's an opportunity where you can get better? What is maybe something that you did during the game that now hindsight being 2020, if you could take that shot over again or make that pass over again, what would you do differently? And, and that, that's kind of the framing that we use for that. That's um, great. As, as far as frustration, one of the most important things for me, one of the most important life lessons is I want my children to understand the relationship between their practice and preparation and what they do during the unseen hours and how they actually show up to play when the lights come on and, and pretty soon when the cheerleaders start dancing and so forth. You know, uh, so if my, if my son Jack doesn't play very well, after I've asked him, you know, what do you think you did well? And let's find something. What do you think you could do better? And if he says, you know, I was really bad today, my next question is, well, how much did you practice this week? How many reps did you get in above and beyond the practices you're required to go to? You know, how many times were you in the backyard working on your left hand or putting up shots? And mm -hmm. many times, you know, he'll sometimes even looking through tears will say, well, I, I didn't practice very much. And I'll say, well, yeah, there you go, buddy. If you don't practice very much, you don't perform very well. It's the same thing for me as a keynote speaker. If, if somebody listening to this, their organization hires me to speak and I show up with no practice, no rehearsal, no preparation, and I don't do well, why in the world would I be surprised? That's yeah. a recipe for not doing well. So I'm such a stickler for that, that, that I want to make sure my kids understand that if you want to perform well, you need to practice during the unseen hours and, and certainly with boundaries. I don't want my kids to only be thinking about sports. I don't want them to think they have to practice 10 hours a day to be good, but I want them to see that connection. Today, yeah. I didn't play well. Earlier this week, I didn't practice very much. There's a connection. And then I also make that connection when they feel like they did play well and say, you know, that hard work that you've been putting in in the backyard it's paying off. You know, you were working on that one move and look at today, you did it three times and you scored. So I just want them to make that connection because I want them to have full ownership over how they show up. I don't want them to blame the coach, to blame the ref, to blame the opponent, to say, you know, no, that's it. You are responsible for your own attitude and effort and how you prepare and what you do in the unseen hours will directly determine that. So if you find yourself frustrated in competition, then let's start putting in some more purposeful practice and get in some reps. And what would you say to the parents that are listening, Alan, whose children don't want to put in those extra reps, who okay. are saying they want to make the high school team, but then they're, it's becoming a big battle to get them to go out and even try to put in extra reps. What's, what's some guidance for those parents? Cause I know that happens a lot. I hear from parents all the time that don't exactly know how to, um, how to navigate that. I'll tell you exactly what I tell my own children, that your, your behavior and what you do every day has to mirror your goals and your ambitions. If those things are not in alignment, then you have to change one of them. You either have to get better work habits or you have to lower your dreams. I don't care which one you choose, but you're not going to tell me that you want to make the high school varsity team and then not put in the work to deserve it. Those things cannot coexist. But I let them know, hey, if you just want to play this for fun and to be with your friends, you have no desire to make the high school team or to play in college. 
that's okay. There's no pressure for me to do that. If this is just an activity for you and you just want to go to practice and play in some games, that is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I say that with all sincerity. However, if you do have aspirations of making a varsity team or playing in college, then you need to start developing the work habits to, to be on par with that, to, to be in alignment with that. And, you know, one of the best examples I can give, um, this was a couple of years ago and, and my son, Jack, who I've referenced a couple of times, uh, was sitting on the couch and he was playing on his iPad. And I said, Hey buddy, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to get a little run in and get a little workout in at the park, do some push-ups and some pull-ups and some dips. Do you want to join me? Uh, and he said, no, I'm good, dad. I'm, I'm just going to keep playing on my iPad. And that was fine. No pressure for me. I left. I got in a great workout and I came back and he kind of looked up and, and I could tell he was probably thinking, I wonder if I should have gone on that workout. And all I said to him was, Jack, you've told me on a couple of occasions that you want to play college basketball. And I think that is a wonderful goal, buddy. Um, your decision to stay on the couch and playing your iPad, did that take you closer to playing college basketball or did that take you further away? Having, if you would have gone with me on the workout, would that have taken you closer to college basketball or further away? And, you know, immediately he had some tears come down because he knew he had probably picked the wrong decision, um, but he had full ownership over that. And, and he wasn't able to make any type of excuse. He knew that in that moment, there was a fork in the road and he chose the option that would did not increase his chance of playing college basketball. And I didn't guilt him or shame him or make him feel bad. I just said, hey, buddy, nobody's perfect. I've made plenty of boneheaded mistakes, but I just need you to know that if you're sincere about your goal of playing college basketball, then you need to make as many decisions in your life as possible that are in alignment with that. Yeah, I think I think we, it's a it's a it's a hard uh, road to find and to navigate as a parent, because um, my I, I think kids find motivation uh at different times. And so I know when I was eight, nine, I was not thinking about being a top level track athlete or uh, that thought never crossed my mind, or I, I didn't yet have an aspiration of playing on the national team. I was not putting in extra reps. I was not going for runs. I didn't know what a dip was. Neither did my parents. Like, and so it's like finding that balance for our children and letting them discover their motivation, their athleticism, um, without crushing their dream at the same time by making them feel too stressed about not performing yet. Um, my daughter who plays in college now and you know, she did not have any of that sense of motivation until she was about 16 years old, just sure. for parents perspectives who were listening. Like I got her gym membership when she was 14 and her friend, the neighbor went almost every day and ha Callie never did. And now she goes to the gym almost every day. It just took her a little bit longer to find her own path. But had I forced her and pushed her at those times or shamed her or guilted her at all, then absolutely she, um, she would have, our, our relationship would have really, really suffered. So oh. just food for thought. And I know you, uh, you were saying the same thing. I just wanted to be clear for all those parents. Oh my gosh. We have so many questions that have come in. Okay. We got it. We got to keep going. Um, so we've talked about winning. I'm just looking at some of my notes that I definitely wanted to get to, Hey, talk about your pregame and postgame statements. Cause those were really great. And in the book and parents, definitely, if you pick up the book, this is going to be one of the highlights as far as I'm concerned. So um, your statements you have before and after. 
And before I do that, let me just go on record to say, Sky, that um, there's a couple things we can do. One, if we feel like there's a lot of questions we don't get to and you ever want to do a part two of this, I'm happy to come back. If awesome. you ever even just want you and I to jump on and go through the questions and answer them on video to be able to provide to folks, that's fine too. Because awesome. I, I can't tell you, everyone that's listening right now, how much I appreciate the sacrifice you've made to be with us and to carve this time out. And we want to help you in any way we can. All right. As far as what I say to my kids, both before and after any activity, practice or game, I only have four things that I ask them. And the funny thing is, if they weren't in school at the moment and they were standing with me, they'd recite these four things by heart. Uh, number one, and, and it's beforehand, I remind them after I actually ask it as a question. So if I ask it as a question after the first thing I ask is, uh, did you give your best effort today? That's it. Did you give you I don't care how you played, how you performed, if you made shots or what. Did you give your best effort? Did you have fun? Did you listen to your coach? And were you a good teammate? Those are the only four things to me as a parent that matter. Now, I remind them of those things when I'm dropping them off. Make sure you listen to your coach. Make sure you're a good teammate. I hope you have a great time and do the best that you can. And, and we might change the language a little bit, but, mm -hmm. but ultimately it's those four questions. And it's been my experience that if kids can say yes to those four things, then they're all in, then they're getting everything out of the youth sporting experience that we as parents want them to, to get out of it. First yeah. and foremost, we should all want our kids to have fun. That is the reason that they play sports. Uh, we should also want to teach the trait of if you're going to be there, give your best effort. Uh, we want to encourage our kids to be coachable and open to feedback and be able to take instruction um, and, and listen and respect authority. And then a huge one, and I even use the words teammates with my kids when it's just us, is, you know, instead of being a good sibling, is just be a good teammate. Be the type of teammate that you want to play with. You know, be the one that picks someone else up or gives them a high five. Be the one that holds someone accountable if they're not living up to your team's standards, but be a great teammate. Because uh, I found that those four things have incredibly high utility and transfer to any area of life at any age in life. You know, anyone listening to this right now, a parent, if you're showing up for work every day, I can promise you, if you give your best effort, if you're having fun, if you listen to your boss and you're a great teammate, you're going to be performing at a high level and work will be so much more enjoyable for you. So to me, those are the only four things that ever matter. I don't care about scores. I don't care about points. I don't care about trophies. You do those four things and I will continue to, to, to pour in and support your youth sporting experience. That's great. And, and with perspective that, you know, kids aren't going to have fun every day. They're not going to be coachable every day. They're going to have troubling times. And that's, you know, where we need to show up as a parent in those moments as well. Yeah. And those are also the things that, that I hold them accountable to because sometimes that's, and I, again, I keep bringing up my son, Jack and, and for reference, this kid is a mini me. He, he looked exactly like I looked when I was 11 and he has the exact same temperament that I had. And, and, and some of that is good. And some of that frustrates me beyond belief because when I was 11, I was a little bit of a pain in the backside. So everything about him, you know, that that's funny, but, but, but I had this conversation with him the other day, uh, his team lost, he didn't play very well. And when the coach was talking to the team afterward, my son's body language showed that he was disinterested. He wasn't making eye contact. He was fiddling with his shoe and looking off in the distance. So when we had a discussion later that evening, I didn't say anything about his on-court performance. I just said, you need to understand that the way you behaved when Coach Freddie was talking to you was unacceptable. And, and I found it disrespectful to him. And you're not going to behave that way. That, that no matter how you played or how you feel in the moment, you need to respect your coach and you need to give him your full attention. 
doesn't mean you always agree with your coach. There's nothing wrong with civil disagreement, but, but you need to be coachable. And those are our four rules. And you know that. And in that moment, you did not appear coachable to me. And I just want you to be aware of it. And, and he acknowledged, understood, said, yes, sir. And, and that won't happen again, daddy. So um, those are the only four things I hold them accountable to. And that, you know, is I'm going to bring up when I, I think there's an issue. Mm, thanks for sharing. Um, in the book, Rich tells a story about, Rich is your co-author, who, who tells a story about uh, his son, who's like U9, U10, starting to pe- play travel baseball. And they were a little bit uh, not sure if this was too early to sign him up for such a uh, structured environment. But um, he said in the book, quote, but we we went ahead and signed him up because we trusted the coaches. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about trust here. It's come up and layered into many of these questions from parents, whether it be about playing time or whether it be about the instruction the coach is giving on the sidelines, not being uh, quality when we were talking about sideline behavior. Um, trust is, is the foundation of the work that I do at soccer parenting. It is the very first place that we start, uh, self-trust, and then also, you know, trusting your coaches. And as parents, we need to, the, the biggest decision we make is, is about the playing environment for our child. So, um, can you just maybe dive into that a little bit, uh, things that parents need to be considering when they are making decisions for their child, when it comes to playing environment? Absolutely. And I'm so thankful to not only have Rich as a friend, but to be a co-author. Rich was an exceptional high school coach for for almost two decades uh, before he's moved on and pivoted in his career. Uh, And he is a wonderful youth sports parent. His son, Jimmy, who you're referencing now, uh, is an exceptional young man and an exceptional athlete. And and I remember Rich and I had a discussion around that time um, because so many sports, whether it's soccer or basketball or baseball, um, are slowly trying to urge parents to have their child's, you know, have some early sports specialization and only play one sport year round. And they need this heavy commitment to play on a travel team that you're not going to play for anyone else or do anything else. You have to be all in with us. And, you know, as I said before, every child and every relationship is going to be slightly different. You know, there might be some 10 and 11 year olds that, that are mature enough to make that type of commitment. And then there's some others who might not be that serious yet and, and maybe be better to wait a couple of years, you know, until they see the light and, and decide that that's something that's best for them. Um, but the trust that we as parents need to put into our coaches is really the foundation. Well, trust is the foundation of any relationship, but it's really the foundation of the parent and coach relationship and say, you know, I'm going to allow you to pour into my child and I'm going to allow you to make decisions on who makes the team, on who plays, on who plays what position, um, uh, on strategy. And those are going to be things that I'm going to trust you to do the best that you're capable of with. That is not my domain as a parent. I'm going to stay out of that. And and I think it's important to draw that line. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, once again, when you have a parent like yourself or myself who've played at at a high level and no, has a high sport IQ and a high sport acumen, it's easy for us to be able to question the on the field or on the court judgment or strategy that a coach has. So it has nothing to do with whether or not the play that coach ran, whether that was right or wrong, or whether you know something better, that's irrelevant. What's most important is modeling for our children that we have put our trust in the coach. They are the authority figure that you need to listen to when it comes to strategy and playing time. Time, and we're simply going to support that. And, and I do think that's an infraction many parents make when they mm-hmm. approach the coach to talk about 
playing time to politic for their kid to play more or to play a different position? Or why are you running this defense? You know, you have the right to disagree and have a different philosophy, but I believe we need to entrust the coaches to do that. I mean, it would, it would be comical slash offensive if a coach followed you home one night and started questioning your parenting decisions and said, Sky, what time do your children go to bed? Oh no, that can't be their bedtime. What did you feed them for dinner? No, you can't. You'd be like, are you kidding me? These are parenting decisions that I'm making for right or for wrong. You have, you don't get the right to have input on how I parent my child. I think the reverse is true. I don't think as youth sports parents, we should be telling coaches who should play or, or what strategies or plays to run. And, and it's a difficult one to step back from, but I think doing so goes the extra mile in modeling that we respect and we trust the coach to do what they believe is best. Yeah. And, and, you know, our ecosystem and youth sports uh, doesn't necessarily always facilitate these trust filled relationships because uh, you know, the structures, this is often a structural issue that we're running into, whether it be, um, you know, too much expected of kids too young, uh, coaches that have pressure on them to win, to keep a job when these kids are little. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of layers to this, but, you know, as parents, we absolutely need to follow our instincts. Um, and if you feel like your child is being coached by somebody um, that you don't trust, uh, and there's no recourse within the club, um, you know, in a school environment, if you didn't trust your child's teacher, you would obviously talk to the principal. If the sporting organization isn't structured enough, isn't organized enough that you have somebody of authority to be able to openly have a non-crazy person parent conversation with just about how you're feeling about the situation, if that isn't there, then you need to find a better environment. Absolutely. You, you just brought up a great point. I'm so glad you did because I neglected to mention this. As a parent, if you feel that your child is being mistreated, if you feel your child is being demeaned, if you feel your child is being bullied or disrespected, you absolutely yeah. have the right to go talk to the coach about those things, whether they're the one doing it or it's happening on their watch. Uh, what I'm saying is we need to do our best to refrain from talking about the actual tactical portion of the yeah. game playing time, X's and O's and so forth. And, but well, we need to make sure we, we differentiate those things. Yeah. And, and we found that, that actually, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with coaches in my coach education on setting boundaries. And yeah. because this coach parent relationship is one that's so confusing and that we don't have clarity around, and you insinuated this or mentioned this at the very beginning, Alan, you were talking about, um, about the the crazy we we I refer to them as crazy soccer parents like they've taken away taken so much energy out of the youth soccer environment that one us level headed parents that are sometimes stressed live in fear of being portrayed as a crazy parent so we don't ask questions that we really want to or that are good you know, questions to best support our child. And then coaches have too easily just assumed that all parents are like this. And so us establishing very clear boundaries when the doors open, when the doors close, actually, uh, you know, there's lots of research behind how, how that will facilitate establishing a strong sense of community within organizations. So, um, you know, obviously our, our belief statement of soccer parenting is that collaborative relationships between coaches, parents, players, 
um, is in the best interest of player development. So, you know, sure. we need to find that. Space. You know, for any coach that's listening to this, whether you're coaching a group of you eight-year-olds on the soccer field, or you're coaching a potential state champion and high uh, championship team in high school, uh, I think the preseason parent meeting needs to be a non-negotiable. And that's where uh, these standards and expectations need to be clarified. And then mm -hmm. we need to say, here is exactly what is expected of your child. Here is exactly what you can expect of us as a coaching staff. And here's exactly what we expect of you. And, and certainly I'm heavily biased, but I hope that the principles of the sideline kind of go into that tier of something coaches share with parents to say, hey, you kind of stick to the guidelines in this book. We're going to be good. And here's what you can expect from us. And here's what we expect from your child. And then just get everybody on the same page. And, and during that initial meeting, leave that open for questions and dialogue. Leave that open for a parent to say, you know, well, I had a bad experience with a previous coach and I'm worried it's going to happen again. Like, I want to encourage open communication and dialogue and, and, and back and forth. But yeah, if you don't set those ground rules and those guidelines and that foundation in the beginning, then things are very unclear. And when, mm -hmm. when, when you when you have ambiguity, um, you're going to start to have some issues. So yeah, all coaches need to create that meeting and set that, that stage very early. And then you might even have to have some check-in meetings, you know, throughout the season, and then maybe one at the end of the season uh, leading to the off season as well. Absolutely. Um, there's a great question I want to wrap up with, because one of the things I was most curious and, and to, to talk to you about was your sports performance background and how that intersects here. So, um, you know, you have a unique background in understanding skill acquisition and, um, and bringing that into this conversation. And Robert says, um, I have been surprised fr or frustrated by how long it takes my 11 year old soccer player to take what she has in her head and do it on the field. I know that she has the knowledge, but she won't do it on the field. Maybe she can't yet. I have heard of, di of differences between learning and performing and getting learning to stick. Is that it? Um, Robert, we wrote an, I wrote an article a while ago, you know, our children learning or performing. So maybe that's where you got that statement. But if not, be sure to check that out. Um, Alan, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first and foremost, you know, one of the reasons you and I are together today, Sky, is because of our mutual friend, Stu Singer. And this is a question that I know he would answer way more eloquently and brilliantly than I'll ever attempt to, because that's exactly what he does is kind of help athletes get out of their own heads and get out of their own way so that they can take what they can do in practice and perform at the highest level. Uh, what I would say to, to Robert as a fellow father is do the best you can to not raise the stakes and heighten pressure for your, your, I believe he said daughter to perform that do everything you can to kind of diffuse the situation. So don't keep bringing up the fact that, you know, I've seen you do it in practice. How come you can't do it in games? Uh, she most likely already knows that she most likely is already a little bit internally frustrated and self-conscious about it. And when we, we turn up the pressure on our children, especially at young ages, uh, we make that process much more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I think it just comes back to um, having open, honest dialogue with our children and saying, hey, you know, I, I enjoyed watching you practice or watching your workout or watching you in the backyard. Uh, I love the work you're putting in. Uh, I see you're getting better at that specific skill or that specific drill. You know, when is an opportunity that you could do that in a game? Or how do you think that'll apply on Sunday when you guys have a game? And, and just make it less of a an intense pressure field 
um, environment and just more to let her kind of figure it out on her own. And every kid, as you said so perfectly before, every kid sees the light at a different age and at a different stage. And at some point, this is where your dot, dot, dot yet really comes into play. At some point, Robert, your daughter will start to transfer what she does in practice to the field. We just have to continue to be patient, love unconditionally and support and encourage and just let the chips fall where they may. Where we get frustrated is when our kids aren't performing on the timeline that we want them to perform at, that's when we start to have some issues. So we we need to say, this is your journey. You're going to figure it out. I'm going to love you no matter what, and I'm going to support you no matter what. And, And I promise the light bulbs will eventually go off. Yeah, because uh, you you have kids the same age that I'm coaching. His daughter's around 11. I think this age, this 9 to 11 or 12, is just so uniquely stressful as a parent because some kids get these things and some don't. Or, or your child sees the ability, for instance, in soccer to play a through ball. They, like, they, they do it in one game like two or three times but then they, they can't do it again. They don't see it anymore. And it's just literally their brain understanding space. There's so many other developmental things that are happening within these environments. But I think these ages are uniquely hard because again, some kids have got it already and some don't. And so much of this is also related to movement and the quality of a child's ability to move. And if they have those skills yet, and then their ability to compete or you know to perform based on that. Absolutely. And one other thing that to piggyback on that, our confidence determines how we perform. And a good portion of our confidence is derived from our own self-talk. The things we say to ourselves, especially in silence, are arguably the most important things we we say. So, so one issue, especially with young people, but shoot, for all of us, even us old people, you know, if if they're constantly telling themselves, I'm not good enough, or I can't do that, or that player's better, or I never seem to be able to make that move, that's just going to compound the issue. And then if we as adults are doubling down on that and basically proving that their negative self-talk is accurate when it's not, it's just a story. But if we're confirming that the negative things they're saying to themselves, if we're doubling down on that, it makes the issue worse. So we just have to teach kids to, to just go out there and be free, to just play, to have some fun, to do your best, to try to do the things that you've worked on in practice and just let the chips fall where they may. And don't do anything on our end as parents to add to the pressure or the intensity or to add to the frustration that our kids may be feeling. And and please know, every single thing that I've said in this past hour is very basic in premise. None of this is easy to do. I know I'm (laughs) delivering it in a matter of fact tone and the sideline is an incredibly thin and easy read with practical advice. None of this stuff is easy. So, uh, so Robert, I have so much empathy and compassion for you as a fellow father. Every parent listening to this, all of the stuff Sky and I are talking about is not easy to implement. So give yourselves some grace and some compassion. If, if you're at a youth sporting event this weekend and after the game, you go, you know what? I probably yelled too many instructions from the sideline. Don't beat yourself up over it. Just learn from it and give yourself some grace and you move on to the next play the same way you'd want your child to move to the next play whenever they turn the ball over or miss a shot. So I do want to make sure that there is a a mindful and gentle approach to the way that we as youth sports parents view ourselves and do everything we can to help the other youth sports parents so that collectively we can make an environment that, that is really impactful, memorable, and meaningful for our kids. That's such a wonderful way to wrap it up. I appreciate that. And um, it's nice to chat with somebody that shares so many sentiments. And, um, and I'm really excited to um, just 
kind of finished your book, you're right. It is a, it is a, um, I wouldn't say quick read because there I'm like writing notes in the sideline and, you know, in the sideline and the, the side of the books and stuff, but um, it's informative. It gets to the point and there's lots of great takeaways for parents. So I encourage people to, to uh, check it out and buy it at the sidelinebook.com. You can um, get it directly there. Um, any last final statements or closing as we, as we wrap up, Alan? No, this was so much fun. I really enjoyed this. I felt like we could do this for five more hours. If I know. <laughs> I just want to leave my email address and it's Great. Alan, A-L-A-N at AllensteinJr.com. Um, if, if parents, if there's anything that you want to ask or anything you want to share or anything you need of me in between, uh, it's my honor to serve the youth sports parents community. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out. I'm also at Alan Stein Jr. Uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, if you'd rather just shoot oh, me a DM or, or anything like that, you just you just let me know. But if I could ever be of service, I'd be honored to do it. Sky, I want to do everything I can to support and champion everything that you're doing. Um, so if you ever need anything from me, I've, I've got your back. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for investing your time with us. I hope we helped you raise your parenting game. Before I sign off, just a reminder to check out thesidelinebook.com. If you have a child that plays youth or high school sports or you coach youth or high school sports, you need this book. Trust me. Check out thesidelinebook.com now.